Greetings from Beijing. We have a very cool episode for you today. In actuality, it was recorded in late November when our guest Frozon Farzani visited Beijing to attend an education forum where he spoke in one of the panels. Now I have to confess that I've known Frozon Far for quite some time and always found him to be an incredible person and a young intellectual. When I visit Hong Kong, we always make time to see each other and dive into long discussions on everything from politics to entrepreneurship, philosophy to literature, and anything we see fit to argue and debate on. I find him very positive and someone who is passionate about life. I especially appreciate his love for Tajikistan, a homeland we share, particularly when there is a handful of our countrymen living in Hong Kong. Many who learn about Tajikistan from Frozen Far get the most beautifully vivid and inspiring picture of the mountainous land with deep historic and cultural roots. He is proud of his country, and it is something that everyone takes away after meeting him. At the same time, he is a global citizen, having traveled many countries from the time he learned how to walk. I had a really curious conversation with Frozen Far in our podcast, which many of our listeners will find extremely interesting and practically useful. He shares about his past, present, and what he hopes for in the future. For young people, he has concrete advice and ways to become successful. Enjoy the podcast. Frozen Far is an entrepreneur and investor from Tajikistan. He currently works at Fresco Capital, a global venture capital firm, where he is involved in all aspects of investment and operations. Prior to Fresco Capital, Frozen Far built and scaled businesses in data analytics and investment advisory, and worked with Ernst Young. Frozen Far holds a BA in economics and finance from the University of Hong Kong. Frozen Far is passionate about economic and cultural empowerment. Okay, welcome to another edition of Scholar on the Belt and Road. We have a special guest today, who came directly from Hong Kong to attend a global education technology forum in Beijing, and his name is Frozon Farzani. Frozon Far, how are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. And I know you came uh, from uh, Hong Kong.、Uh, To attend this conference, and I was just there with you, and saw how much interest you generated as、uh, a person coming from Tajikistan, but at the same time as a professional. Can you tell me a little bit about、uh, what the conference was about, and why was, was there so much interest directed at you? Sure,、uh, I, uh, you you humble me with the interest directed towards me. I think it's more directed to my、uh, company that I work at, and we'll talk about that later.、Uh, but about the conference itself, it's called Get Summit.、Uh, it's a global uh, education uh, conference.、It、literally stands for Global Education Technology.、Um, it's organized by JMDU、uh, Company. It's a local、uh, consulting firm. And they focus on bringing top-notch education institutions from all around the world、uh, into China,、uh, and vice versa, taking Chinese education institutions global. And、uh, myself, as somebody who is in the intersection of those two,、uh, finds these type of conferences fascinating. And、uh, I was lucky enough to be invited to share some of our 
insights on investing and investing in global education. So you work for an investment firm, right? You're working for a venture capital firm. Can you talk a little bit about your firm and what it does, what it looks into? Sure, uh, happy to. Uh, so Fresco Capital uh, is a global venture fund. And by global, I literally mean we invest all over the world. Uh, we have 60 portfolio companies um, spread around North America, here in Asia, um, Europe, everywhere from Estonia uh, all the way west to London. And uh, we have networks, uh, Africa, South America. So we try to encompass as much of the world as we can. And that is one of our competitive advantages. Um, taking a step back, we look at education. That's why I'm here. Uh, we look a lot into healthcare, and the third pillar that we uh, pride ourselves in is the future of work. Uh, we feel like there's a lot of synergy between all three of those, um, and you can't really take one out uh, without the other two. Um, we invest typically early stage, uh, so that usually in you know in our world that means a Series A or pre-Series A uh, investment. Uh, we typically write you know about a half a million US dollars uh, in uh, in money. In capital, and we try to help our founders and their team from the day we invested, uh, all the way until um, they grow to multinational companies encompassing the whole world, and beyond that. Even once we've exited our uh, our opportunity, we still keep very close ties with our uh, founders and uh, try to build a community. And how long you've been working there? I joined late 2015. Okay, and before that. Before that, I was on the other side of the table, my friend. Uh, I built my own business uh, in Hong Kong. Um, relative uh, degree of success. Um, uh, actually, funny story how I got into Fresco was uh, the founder and managing partner at Fresco was my first investor. Uh, he was with a different firm back then, uh, but he believed in me. He was my first ticket uh, investor, so he believed in me before anybody else did. Um, and piggybacking of his investment and his guidance, I was able to, um, you know, build a team, build a product, uh, get some sales, uh, and we sold to banks. So if anybody knows what enterprise sales looks like, that is probably one of the hardest institutions and sectors to sell to. We successfully did that. Um, so grew the team and tried to build into a multinational company, so growing outside of Hong Kong. Um, but just the reality of building a business hit, and it hit really, really hard. So uh, as, uh, as a fresh grad, uh, I just did not have the necessary experience to run uh, anything like that. Uh, so what happened was we uh, closed shop uh, in about three years. Um, uh, Steve, uh, who is now my colleague, um, basically said, you know, Furzon, you did a great run as an entrepreneur. Um, you suck as an entrepreneur, so uh, maybe you'll have a better chance. I I'm kidding. Uh, he was very positive. He, uh, he basically said that, uh, come join Fresco and let's build this together. And before that, you were a student where? Uh, I did my degree in, uh, it's a double degree, economics and finance at the University of Hong Kong. Okay, so basically in the past, let's say, 10 years, you've been uh, in Hong Kong. You've been living there, you've been studying there, you've been working there. So your 10 years, your decade of your life has been spent in Hong Kong. Is that correct to say? That is absolutely correct. It is home. Okay, it is home now. Now, when it comes to your home home, uh, where are you coming from? Can you tell our audience about yourself and how did you manage to uh, to to come to Hong Kong? And as I understand, uh, there is 
um, overwhelming evidence that uh, you are probably the only uh, person from Tajikistan who's actually uh, studied and then stayed and now is working full-time in Hong Kong, or at least you haven't found anybody else that does that. Uh, I've been I've been trying to nominate myself for the honorary consul of Hong Kong uh, for Tajikistan um, uh, with varying degrees of success, i.e. zero success. <laughs> uh, but uh, apart from students uh, that are starting to trickle down into Hong Kong, I have not seen any uh, other fellow Tajiks. Um, yep, I come from Tajikistan. Uh, I was born in Tajikistan, but um, early on uh, moved out. Uh, early 90s, we moved uh, with the family to Yemen. Uh, so Middle East. So I lived in Sana'a uh, for a couple of years. I did my, uh, you could say, formative years uh, in a school there. And then from Sana'a, uh, we moved to Sweden. Um, so lived in Gothenburg uh, for a couple of years. Um, the stark difference, I went from warm, tropical land with uh, Jambia swords around your uh, waist to ice cold, emotionless, I'm just kidding, uh, Swedes um, that you know, were, were very hospitable, but nevertheless had a different culture. So 180 degrees difference. And, and how then, old were you then? Oh, great question. When you were moving around so much. So moved um, from five. Wow. Four, actually. Four. Yeah. So started to move quite early on. Okay. So you, you were used to moving. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's part of, part of, you know, the characteristics that uh, I kind of built for myself. And then you came back to Tajikistan. Yeah, I did. I did my high school back in Tajikistan um, in an international school uh, called Dushanbe International School. Very proud. Mm -hmm. Okay, so can you tell me about the uh, the reasons why you actually decided to go to Hong Kong? Because as uh, as far as we can tell, there's not a lot of Tajiks that uh, choose Hong Kong as a destination for university. And what prompted you to do that? And what did you get out of it? That's a loaded question, so I'll, I'll try to break that down. Uh, the decision-making, uh, I will not bother you with fancy answers of like, oh, yes, China and Asia was going to grow. I had no idea uh, that, you know, Europe and uh, the world as we know it was going to change the power dynamics and the economic dynamics. Uh, what happened was my grandmother, uh, the professor at Cambridge, head of our foundation, um, basically said, first on, uh, you know, we have we have plenty of family members looking westward, i.e. Europe, UK. We have zero family members looking eastward. Um, you, as my eldest grandson, uh, should be the one leading that direction. Um, I kind of took so it. She's to very side. forward looking. Uh, she is. Uh, yeah, she's an inspiration. She's forward looking in a number of ways. Uh, but that was her insight. Mm hmm. So that, that, so that was the initial catalyst. And then I started looking down at the uh, pizza rankings of top universities in uh, Asia. And Hong Kong at that time was number one. Okay. So did you uh, go through a uh, program or did you apply directly? Oh, it was all direct. So I did my uh, admissions myself, uh, the international school. Um, as great as it was, uh, didn't really have the necessary experience uh, or the infrastructure to help with international uh, admissions. Uh, so it was kind of trial and error, um, getting the application here, getting your visa, uh, getting your paperwork, um, translating your transcripts, uh, because you know, we got our certificates in Tajik. 
Hong Kong University was like, yeah, so what is this an equivalent of? Right. And, and so they I, probably had no idea what Tajikistan was and where it was on the map. I, I don't know. I did not ask them. Uh, I, probably not. Probably not. So uh, they probably thought that this was part of their diversity program. <laughs> right. And why did you cho choose Hong Kong? Um, uh, qu quite simply, uh, uh, Hong Kong University was the best university in Asia uh, mm. back in 2008. Um, it beat out Tokyo and uh, Singapore, uh, the two other major... Did, did you apply cities. anywhere else, or you were absolutely confident that you'll get accepted? Uh, I had this brash confidence in myself, uh, which sometimes comes back to bite me. Uh, but I applied uh, to um, three schools, uh, Warwick, LSC, and HKU. Uh, so I got into two out of the three. Uh, Warwick uh, admitted me, and HKU admitted me. Okay, but I assume that you're not regretting coming to Hong Kong today. Not at all, not at all. I love Hong Kong. Uh, I call it home. Um, I, I, people constantly ask me, uh, why are you in Hong Kong? Why are you still in Hong Kong? Um, even locals from Hong Kong ask me the same question. And I have a very simple answer for them. If you look at the top cities in the world, let's say top five, right, you'll probably start thinking about like New York, London, um, Tokyo, uh, maybe Shanghai or Beijing. Um, but then you kind of start to think, okay, Hong Kong, yeah, Singapore. Um, and then you start to compare what are the differences. Uh, Hong Kong is safer than all of the above-mentioned cities. Uh, maybe Singapore and Tokyo will give it a uh, run for its money, but it's as safe, if not safer. It's more dynamic. Uh, there's a lot of things always happening. Uh, it's super live. It never sleeps. Um, and I think it's... At least to me, as uh, a non-local who's lived there for 10 years, uh, I feel like it's a lot flatter. So as an up-and-coming uh, professional, you can get access to top-tier uh, companies uh, and their senior executives um, reaching out through LinkedIn, uh, emailing them. and they are so, fairly, so fairly easier, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so there isn't as much of this hierarchy set up Mm -hmm. as uh, right. New York, for example, which right. I also had the opportunity to work at. Um, so that's all in all, all of those things made me fall in love with Hong Kong. Okay, so can you share about your experiences when you first came to Hong Kong? Is it a city that easily accepts someone from a small country like that? Is it, Or is it so overwhelming for you that you had to adapt, that it took time for you to understand what the city is about, or what your institution is, uh, is about. Was it, was it fairly simple for you to adjust to a new environment? Um, it's, a, it's, it's a great question, and I think it's a very subjective question. I can't objectively a answer that. I think each person will react uh, to a city like Hong Kong differently. I've had friends fly over from all around the world and uh, feel, and they're not even students, feel like Hong Kong is overwhelming. Uh, just as a very basic example, Hong Kong has the largest number of skyscrapers in the world um, uh, compared to any city. So if you go into the city center and you look up, you can barely see the sky. And so to most, that is going to be daunting. Because they're in such a close proximity. Super tight. Right. Super tight. Um, I love it. Right. So to me, that's 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 shows dynamism, shows the concentration of intellect in such a small land. And so I love it. Uh, but to some, daunting, right? And so 10 years ago, uh, when I came to Hong Kong, uh, partly my going back to my brash confidence, I loved the city. 
from day one, people were kind, or at least I didn't see them as uh, unkind. Um, maybe they were trying to be, but I was I was super happy. Um, the the best part retrospectively with the university uh, was that it took the best students from China and the best students from um, kind of the whole world uh, because of um, Chinese applying, because um, HKU had this special uh, regime with China that you had to do one year of university uh, in China before you can transfer to HK uh, universities. What that meant is you had to go through the Gaokao exam in China, uh, do a year, get great grades, and then be eligible to transfer to Hong Kong universities. So what that meant is we had the best Chinese students, and they are literally the best. Um, what that did is pushed up the competitive level to max, uh, extreme levels. And when I came, I thought I was you know, not a dumb student, but the first semester I barely scraped through. I, I, was, I was hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Mm. And that kind of hit me. That hey, you could be um, you could be great from wherever you come, uh, but there's always going to be a place where you're not the best. Um, so the competition was so high that you have you literally had to bring your A game every day. Your A game was not good enough. Mm. Uh, right. So you you had to you had to like you had to improve in a very short period of time, and I love that. I love that challenge. And so combination with the city um, combined with a challenging university, I loved my time. But it wasn't just the Chinese students, right? There were probably uh, students from many, many countries. So uh, before 2008, so um, HKU was not uh, open to as many international st students. Uh, they didn't have an international program as, uh, as well-developed international program as some of the other universities. Uh, 2007 was the first year they admitted a larger batch of international students. So I was literally uh, their first non-experimental batch of international students. Um, and so what they did was they tried to recruit uh, the best they could get their hands on. And so even the international students that were coming through from Europe, from the U.S., from South Asia, uh, were top of their class when they were coming in. Uh, so that competition was amazing. And to see how much larger the world is uh, compared to what I, you know, what you kind of grow up with, uh, just changes your perspective, changes the standards, and uh, that will be a recurring theme. Now, many students when they uh, go abroad and they study, they tend to come back to their homes. Uh, we know that uh, by the example of Tajikistan and many students that study here in China, they come back home. They work for Chinese companies. Now, you decided to actually stay on. Now, two questions. First question, was it easy to actually stay in Hong Kong after you graduated? And the second question, when you stayed, why did you stay? Uh, did you have a job in your senior year of college, or were you looking for one right after you graduated? What was the process, and what was the decision-making process behind that? Again, um, that sounds like you intend for me to give you a planned answer, like I had everything sorted out right after graduation. I did not. It was all by accident. Um, right after university, um, I actually got an internship in New York. 
So I was in the States and that was one of the career options. I was going to uh, move to the U.S. and kind of uh, build there. Uh, but what happened was my sister got into school in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, she got into the second Tajik. Uh, the second Tajik. <laughs> so now we're up to two. We doubled. Uh, so she got into um, school in Hong Kong and I couldn't leave my uh, little sister behind. So I came back. Um, I had a job offer on the table when I came back. Um, I started and I quit um, within two months, uh, probably even faster, probably somewhere between six weeks and um, decided that um, corporate world is probably not going to be the best fit for me and uh, decided to venture out and build a company. Right. And that was the company that I mentioned earlier. Right. Now, was it easy to actually stay in Hong Kong in terms of getting the, getting the papers or getting a visa? Uh, what's the process behind that? Because I, we know for, from China's experience that it's very difficult for graduating students to actually uh, apply for a working visa. There are rules and regulations here that um, uh, are not in favor of those students to actually stay here in China and try to find uh, jobs for themselves. Now, uh, how does that compare to Hong Kong? Yeah, so in Hong Kong, I think what Hong Kong has done is a pretty wise process. Um, it's actually easy for you to uh, get um, uh, employment visa or work visa uh, post-education. Uh, but what they make it very difficult is to get into the education system. So if you can get uh, into Hong Kong University uh, post-graduation, you'll get one year of uh, eligibility to look for a job. What they make very difficult is for you to get into HKU. Uh, and I like that process. So if you got into the university, you know, you might as well... Uh, benefit the local ecosystem. Right, right. Uh, well, on the mainland here, they also are trying to implement the system where you graduate from the best universities here in China as a master with a master's degrees. Uh, that would help you in uh, uh, staying here in China and actually finding a job for yourself. Yep. So something similar to that. Now, when uh, when it comes to China, um, I know you come here. Uh, uh, quite frequently, uh, what do you look for here and how, what does China mean for you and in terms of your personal growth and professional growth? That's, that's another loaded question. So China has a lot only of loaded questions. Only here. loaded questions. I, I love the questions yeah. coming in. Yeah, we're a scholar. <laughs> we have to be loaded. It's, uh, you could write a whole PhD thesis on these questions, but I love them. Um, so I, my primary uh, objective when I come to mainland China is from the lens of my work. Uh, so with Fresco Capital, uh, we do three things here. Um, we look for um, new startups, so potentially new founders, new teams to back. Uh, uh, that's always fantastic because you get to see the best and brightest trying to tackle the biggest problems in the world. Um, so that's fantastic. Second one is local ecosystem partners. So uh, institutions, people that could potentially help uh, some of our portfolio outside of China and within China, outside of China, uh, enter and develop their market here in China. So that's uh, number two. Number three, we look for corporate partners, uh, i.e. institutions that would be interested in partnering with us and helping us increase our uh, ability to impact uh, our investments, i.e. give us capital so we can uh, look for even better entrepreneurs. Oh, that's that's amazing. 
Now, when you come here to China, to the mainland, and when you go back to Tajikistan or Russia, do you encounter many uh, prospective students that you would like to recommend for university to consider? Do you actually uh, propagate uh, uh, coming uh, to uh, Hong Kong or China, to your university or others, uh, those uh, up-and-coming students that really want to explore from Tajikistan or from Russia or from anywhere uh, that you have the familiarity with? Absolutely. I have, uh, from the day I got into Hong Kong, I have uh, tried to be as enthusiastic as possible with uh, students from all around the Belt and Road. Uh, actually, even the whole world. I'm just very positive about uh, Hong Kong and the education institutions there. Uh, Actually, anecdotal experience, I tried to recommend Hong Kong University in Tajikistan. Um, How did that work out? They thought that I was a scam. Oh, why is that? I have no idea. Because I, I told them there was this program where they were, I, I can't remember the details right now, but uh, all expenses paid, uh, flight to Hong Kong uh, for the summer with the summer academy, something like that. Uh, and I said, all you have to do is, you know, it's, it's a bit of a competition. I need you to be up to a certain standard. So I told uh, students to, you know, send in their resumes, uh, send in their, uh, you know, projects that they have worked on um, and their transcripts. And, and how many applications did you receive? I got a grand total of two, I believe. Wow. Uh, and they, the, and the applications were were okay, uh, but I was just I was just expecting one because this was like. Everything was paid for. All you had to do was show up. Um, and people, when I asked why did why was the feedback underwhelming, people said that they were worried that this was a scam, that you were just collecting identification and uh, information about them, and then you know handing in handing it in to somebody. I had no idea. Um, so I, th that was my last anecdotal experience trying to share. Now, do you have any successful uh, results? Uh, my cousin. Uh, third Tajik uh, is now those who, <laughs> th th those who, who know you. So people, yeah, I guess people who have kn who've known me and uh, know that um, uh, I've been through Hong Kong and the university there um, take my word for uh, the education system. And so uh, Omina Khan, uh, my cousin, uh, just got admitted to Hong Kong University uh, into the maths department. So I'm extremely proud of her. Um, and I'll look forward to actually now getting more and more Tajiks. Now, what do you think is the reason for uh, people, uh, uh, people's train of thought when it comes to these types of programs? Or do you think that Hong Kong is a little bit more isolated from our part of the world? Because uh, China is right there. There's so many opportunities uh, in the mainland, that is. Uh, why do you think they actually don't like to go to the uh, Hong Kong and then you know to the southeastern part of Asia there's two two train of thoughts for me here uh, the naive person in me will say just Hong Kong is not mu not as much as on their radar because uh, there just isn't uh, there isn't a critical mass of Tajiks there who come back every year and you know uh, get a loudspeaker out and say hey come to Tajikistan there's uh, come to Hong Kong there's opportunities to grow build uh, your professional career and so on and so forth. Uh, that's that's just the naive person in me. Um, the more I, I, 
cynical person in me would probably say that Hong Kong being a special administrative region within China, uh, it has a lot of pluses and minuses. So the example I, I like to bring is New York. People go to New York, but don't actually like they might land into New York, but then work all over the U.S. And there's work opportunities there. Uh, there's work study opportunities there uh, that can potentially help you pay uh, through your tuition. And um, in case tuition does not work out, you can actually figure out a way to uh, generate some revenue and you know help your family regardless. In Hong Kong, you kind of don't have that system in place. You have to study. And as I mentioned, it's a very competitive education system. Therefore, you can't really afford to slack and get a part-time job, uh, earning a large amount of uh, money to pay for your tuition or either send it back. Uh, and then in addition to that, if your education does not turn out good, there isn't really an opportunity for you to like hang around in Hong Kong and try to uh, get some work done. Right, right, right. Because you can't go into China. Uh, and Hong Kong itself is a very meritocratic society. So they, they ask for your degree, they ask for your expertise, and if you don't have that expertise, it becomes a little bit hard. What advice would you give to the uh, students, to the young people that are looking to study abroad, especially those who are from our region, from the Belt and Road region, from Central Asian region? Uh, I, I want to leave people with two uh, advice. One more macro and one more practical. So the, the macro is easier. Set very, very high standards for yourself. Um, be ambitious with those standards. Um, I think we, uh, generally this generation, have a tendency to um, be a bit less ambitious with the standards that we put for ourselves. Uh, we we tend to be a little bit more cynical. Put high standards and try to achieve them. Um, and don't be shy about those standards. Uh, I think there's so many opportunities in this world. You just have to put the right standards very, very high. Uh, that's that's a, you know, a slightly philosophical. Practically speaking, uh, I think when you're deciding on universities, uh, you have three things to consider, uh, which are generally overlooked. Uh, first one is the city. Look into the city itself. There's a huge difference between uh, doing a top-tier university um, such as Oxford or Cambridge uh, in a in in a non-metropolitan environment. So Oxford and Cambridge as a town itself is not super exciting uh, versus uh, doing a top-tier university in London or a larger metropolitan city like New York. Um, cities are very, very important in the development of uh, at any stage, actually, not just even university. Um, and I got lucky with Hong Kong. It was a very metropolitan city. That helped. Uh, second, obviously, is look into the university, uh, but deep dive into what faculty that you really want to go into and why. Uh, once you start doing that, uh, you start to understand whether that school's ranking represents their teaching ability. There's a difference between what people uh, see from the outside ranks of universities and ranks of the faculty right. versus the ability to teach and not the best uh, the best universities don't necessarily mean they have the best teaching professors and i think that's uh that's overlooked uh and i think uh lastly uh you wanna uh, you wanna see one step ahead 
right? Uh, sort of like what the question you asked, was it easy to stay behind into Hong Kong? I did not do that. That was not part of my thought process. But looking back, that would have been something that should have been in the thought process of what will I do post-university? Uh, and I think those three things are generally kind of overlooked, uh, at least in my case, when, uh, when deciding for universities. Now, I want to ask another um, loaded question, right? Uh, if you compare the photos on far of 2008 when you first came to Hong Kong and 10 years later, the photos on far of 2018, uh, did you meet all your expectations? Fantastic question. Um, so uh, one of the things that I, I actually did not have a standard or bars when I was looking out of uh, Tajikistan and into Hong Kong University. Um, that would be way too wise of myself. Uh, I'm not going to give. But you're advising others to set those. Well, uh, that's ten years later. Okay. That's ten years later. So if, if <laughs> in that, retrospect, in it's retrospect, I, yeah, in retrospect, if, if I would have loved somebody to tell me that, hey, set your standards higher, uh, set your bar higher, uh, and not just for universities, but generally in the problems that you want to tackle over your whole life. Set those bars very high. Don't just say, I want to be you know, the number one uh, employee in large corporation XYZ. Say, I want to tackle this problem. I want to solve poverty. I want to solve hunger. Aim, aim that high. I want to help not just Tajikistan, but I want to help the whole world, right? We always, we put things in the framework of, for some reason, we see it as we pigeonhole ourselves into smaller goals, right? I think our goals should be larger. We should be thinking larger than just Earth. Uh, goals should be, how can I get to Moon? How can I get to Mars, right? Those, That's what Elon Musk is doing. And I think we should have more people thinking as ambitiously. I, don't, I might not agree with some of his uh, you know, personality traits, but in terms of ambition setting, that is what we should set for ourselves. The goal should be that high. Uh, his other goal is, I want to eradicate gas cars, right? And that is his goal. Is he going to succeed or not? That is what not is, really important. What is your goal? So taking a step back on, on goals. So sorry, I, I went on a tangent. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's two schools of thought, and uh, I'll explain both. One is you set goals. One is you set processes. Right. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, if you would have told me what is the goal you have, uh, the picture you painted, I wouldn't know what to answer you. Uh, what I did uh, realize uh, was that you want to put processes in place. And I'll give you an example of what the difference looks like. You want to lose five kilos. Right? That is your goal. There's two ways to, there's multiple ways to reach it, right? Uh, as a goal, you could take, you know, a direct uh, cut into it and not drink water. You lost five kilos, right? You reached your goal. But was it the right process? One could argue not. Uh, but if you put a process in place and did not really care about the goal, the goal is secondary. Your process was, I want to uh, live a, a healthier lifestyle. Therefore, I will uh, bike every morning, um, eat less carbs, uh, and increase my intake of uh, vegetables and uh, high-quality proteins. And as a secondary effect, I lost five kilos. Exactly. I love that. I love that, right? So taking a step back from that analogy and then applying it to other things, uh, I think you should approach things as processes, right? 
I want to maximize my day-to-day. What does that mean, right? I want to learn as much as I can. I want to be as curious as I can. And I, can be, I want to be as giving back as I can, right? And uh, you would be surprised uh, once you do those fundamental things, helping others, uh, being curious, asking the right questions, you start to hit milestones faster than you realize. Uh, rather than putting a milestone, I'm going to read five books, right? Uh, just be curious. Uh, that stay will, curious. Stay curious. That's going to lead you to reading more than five books, and that's better, I would argue. Well, uh, I think that uh, it was a very interesting interview, uh, especially uh, coming from a person that in the past 10 years stayed in one place in Hong Kong, developed as an individual, as a profession, now applying everything that he has learned in his practices all over the world. I think that's an example that many listeners uh, would and should definitely follow. Uh, Do you have uh, any uh, message, uh, uh, anything that you'd like to say to our listeners? Uh, They're all young, just like you, all aspiring uh, young professionals, students. Is there anything that you want to leave them with? Uh, yeah, t- uh, I guess two things. Uh, practically uh, speaking, uh, please do reach out. Uh, find us on fresco.vc. Uh, I do take uh, interns every year, so I'd be very happy to uh, receive applications. Uh, that's more practically. Um, and I think uh, on a more, um, I guess, just... Um, human-to-human interaction, please feel free to reach out uh, either through LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, I'm very responsive to social media, uh, and I'll be happy to connect, share, um, bounce ideas, and all of the above. And when it comes to Facebook uh, or Twitter, can you leave your uh, Twitter addresses and Facebook addresses to us? Sure. It's literally my first name, F-U-R-U-Z-O-N-F-A-R. And what does it mean? Enlightenment. Enlightenment. Well, we've been enlightened by a conversation, a dialogue with our good friend Furuzan Far. Hopefully that we'll be seeing more of each other and our listeners can have a direct communication with them. Thank you so much and see you next time Fantastic. on Thank you. Scholar and the Belden Road. Thank you.